On this episode of Survival Dispatch News, we're going to talk about bugging in mistakes you might not have thought of. This Survival Dispatch video is brought to you by Nutrient Survival. Nourish your body, power your mind. And we're back with Survival Dispatch News, and I have the classic panel here for you today, and we're going to talk about bugging in mistakes. But before we do, if you like this type of content and you want to make sure you're ready to bug in, you make sure you smash that like and subscribe button, leave us a comment, and make sure you click that bell icon to get notified every time we upload new content here on Survival Dispatch. But as always, we have my lovely co-host, Mike Sterling, the Dean of Demolition, and we've got Chris Heaven back the CEO of Survival Dispatches. Welcome, welcome, guys. It's great to have everybody here. And we have a really interesting topic today because I think that the prepping community at large, for the most part, is looking at, you know, any SHTF scenario. And the first plan is to bug in. And that makes a lot of sense, right? Because you've got all your preps there. You've got all your stores and things like that that you really can't bug out with. If you've ever tried bugging out with a five-gallon bucket of rice on your back, it's not a pleasant experience and you're not going to do it. So uh, there are obviously, the, the big plan for most people, like we said, is going to be bugging in. But there are a lot of mistakes that you can make doing this. And, you know, I kind of wanted to talk about that today and get your guys' opinion on this. And the first one I want to talk about is noise discipline, because this is something I think we don't really consider when you're having everyday life. And I can kind of relate to this because uh, I remember a couple of times when we had a power outage here in the middle of the night and it was deathly quiet. And I mean, deathly quiet. You don't recognize how much white noise there is going on when you're just going around everyday life, especially here in the suburbs, there's air conditioning is going on everywhere. There's cars, there's people, uh, lots of noise. But man, when that power goes out, it is deathly quiet and noise discipline can be a pretty big issue. Now, obviously, Mike, you've been in the military before. Uh, what does the military talk about with noise discipline and what are your plans for SHTF if this happens? So uh, from the military side, of course, yes, you know, when you're in a war zone, uh, you know, you go up into the mountains of Afghanistan, you go up into the deserts in, in northern Saudi Arabia or southern Iraq, stuff like that. It is dead quiet, especially in those empty quarters, man. I mean, there is nothing going on. I mean, when you're in an urban area, there's a lot of noise just because there's a lot of people. People make noise. That's that's the deal. They're, your goal is going to be stay below that noise level. Um <clears throat> As for me, of course, uh, and, you know, just taking this back to the disaster side that I normally go with uh, for noise discipline, uh, normally I'll only run my generators like, you know, a few hours at a time and then, you know, run it for four hours, take a break for four hours, run it for four hours, take a break for four hours, stuff like that. But you you need to remember that that mufflers aren't just for for cars and trucks kids you can have a muffler mounted on your generator now there's there's a specific way to do it don't just go down there and just put a you know just put a clamp onto a piece of hose and think that it's going to all go right for you because it doesn't um and i've actually got a cargo trailer uh that i keep and we worked it out so that the generator runs inside the cargo trailer but the muffler is on the exterior. So all I have to do is roll the roll a generator into the cargo trailer. The cargo trailer acts as a large, you know, as a, basically as a large sound baffle. Um, I'll open the I'll open the vent so that there's plenty of air coming in. 
and then everything exhausts out and you really can't hear it more than about 50 yards away um but that should not be your only your only option now so uh in the military what we would normally do is uh we basically just dig a big hole and you have sound walls you know even if you have to stack up some sandbags or you put berms up stuff like that to force your sound in an upward direction of course you're talking about a you know you're talking about a 10k diesel generator on a trailer so it's not necessarily an easy thing to do but having a you know having a having sound walls around it depending on how you happen to do that that helps a lot but you got to make sure that it's going to breathe don't put it into your garage and not have it vented appropriately you do that that's a great way to kill yourself and your entire family through carbon monoxide poisoning which is kind of a self-sorting kind of a thing but it's the darwin know, awards right that's just you know <laughs> hey i'm telling you it's you know natural selection is a thing right so yeah that's that's my point on that is be sparing in in when you're running your gens um and you know manage manage that and and put some thought into it put some thought into it now that's a great point uh you know especially with the generators obviously a lot of people are planning on using those at least in the prepping community uh chris give us your thoughts obviously you're living in hurricane country you've gone through this before uh when you haven't had power for some time uh what have you noticed when the power goes off and things are deathly quiet yeah i mean we're we're in bugging central here it's almost an annual event multiple times during hurricane season it's interesting that you and Mike would start with generators and, and noise. Um, I know I've mentioned this on a previous episode of Survival Dispatch News, but uh, one of the hurricanes we had many years ago, there were people stealing generators. And what they were doing was they would take a crappy lawnmower, you know, that they bought for 20, 30 bucks off of Craigslist. And they would wheel it up beside somebody's generator at night, start the lawnmower, turn the generator off and take it with them people would wake up if they heard something like oh yeah generator's still running and not take anything of it and so we actually had this is before i had a whole home generator and i didn't find out until after the you know the chaos had ended somebody could have easily done the same thing to our generator as well so i've got just a short list of mistakes that we've made over the years but that was one of them not securing our generator outside well, and that's a really good point, uh, you know, just as far as security is concerned, because uh, if it happens during hurricane season, uh, you can guarantee that if something goes down, uh, that people are going to be out there looking out for number one, for lack of a better term. And I think that's another thing that we really harp on here, uh, you know, at Survival Dispatch is building that community uh, so that you can have people around you to kind of stand guard because you can't do everything 24-7. This is you know, something that we've talked about before that, you know, this whole lone wolf mentality really doesn't work. Uh, you know, it, it can work for a little while, but sooner or later, you got to go to sleep. Uh, even the Rangers and Spec Ops sleep every once in a while, you know, like once a week or something like that. Uh, you know, uh, you don't think so, Mike? Maybe it's every two weeks? It's more often, trust me. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Whenever they, whenever the, uh, the NCO is not looking right. Why uh, stay awake when you can sleep? Exactly. No, but you know, joking aside, um, none of us are Rambo. Uh, we are going to have to depend on other people. And I think this is something that, uh, you know, gets a lot of, 
for lack of a term, hate in the prepper community that I want to talk about a little bit here is helping out your neighbors in a disaster. Now, I know everybody's like, no, dude, when when it goes down, I'm getting in my house and I'm locking the doors and anybody that that shows up is going to get, you know, the old Smith and Wesson treatment. Uh, but I don't think that's really how it's going to work out because in disasters and things like this in the past, uh, you see communities coming together. And for lack of a better term, you're going to need that community to survive. And if you can help somebody, even with just maybe like water purification or, you know, saying, hey, why don't we look at this, you know, patrol plan? Uh, that's just a huge resource to you that you would otherwise just throw away. I can speak to that a little bit. Um you know, so Florida starts at Jacksonville, ends at St. Augustine, and everything south of there is an extension of Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York. And so we live in a, a, you know, older established community in Ormond Beach, and we have quite a few people who have migrated here from the Northeast. And, you know, there's good people across the country. I'm not suggesting they're not good people, but they certainly have a different culture. Uh, one of our neighbors, uh, they had two dogs get loose. My wife got the dogs, took them back, and these people didn't even say thank you. They weren't interested in what her name was or anything like that. So, you know, if you go back uh, maybe 10 plus years ago, it was pretty common during hurricane season, you know, for neighbors to help each other. That that still happens, but it's greatly diminished. There's something going on in society where people are just, uh, they don't want to interact with others. And, uh, you know, if you were to put up a sign in your yard for one political candidate, anybody in your neighborhood who's against that political candidate won't even wave at you or give you the time of day sort of thing. So, uh, valid point, Chris. I'm not sure how you solve it with the way society's going, right? People live on social media, live on their phones. And their personal interaction is, you know, is drastically less than it was in years gone by, even during emergency situations. I, I have a I, I have a an option that I've been using and I think it's hilarious. Um, I've got a couple of I've got a couple liberal neighbors here on my road and I've been killing the hell out of them with kindness. And mm -hmm. they are so confused as to what's going on. I'll regularly just bring them eggs or vegetables out of the garden, <laughs> stuff like that. Whenever we have tornadoes, they're the first ones that I come check on to make sure that they're okay. You know, and, and, and they are, they are confused as can be by this whole thing. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm just beating them up with kindness and they don't they they don't get it they don't at all they don't contribute anything but but i think they're they're i think they see what's happening and now i'm starting to get i'm starting to get the other conservatives in my in my neighborhood into doing the same thing and no not neighborhood but on my road and we're yeah we're we're all just every time every time tornado season rolls around everything shuts down everybody goes to their neighbors we regardless of who they are or what they are, except one, we've got one who's just an outright ass and he can starve to death as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't care about his political affiliations. He's a bad person. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's an option, you know, go out. You, you've got to have that community. If you don't have that community, you're doomed, period. Yeah. And you've got to build that community now, period. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, first is plans. Next is build the community. 
Third is build your priorities and then work those priorities. No, I, I think, uh, you know, Chris, you kind of asked, like, how do we, you know, solve this problem with people, you know, not interacting anymore and things like that. And I think uh, one experience, one thing I can suggest is if you have dogs and you live like in a community, walk your dog. Uh, that's really the best thing I can tell you. And you may be like, what are you talking about, Chris? How's that going to help build community? Well, I kind of had this revelation uh, last Halloween, actually. Uh, so as many of you have know or maybe don't know, I own a German Shepherd and I walk her three times a day. And I uh, went out on Halloween with the daughter. Uh, she was 10 then. And I'm like, okay, we got to leave Athena back home because she's going to be going nuts with everybody in uh, costumes and everybody on the street. She's going to be going crazy. I don't want to scare any kids, right? So I leave her home. Every house I went to, they're like, oh, hey, where's your dog at? Where I, I, I always see you walking your dog. Where's your dog at? And it, it, it dawned upon me. Everybody knows me in my neighborhood now. I may be the crazy guy walking the German Shepherd in the blizzard, but uh, they still know who I am. Uh, and I think that in a situation, uh, being known in your community is a much greater asset than being unknown and being the the crazy guy who, uh, you know, stays in his house, the, the crazy hermit, so to speak. Uh, and so I, I think that if you're you're struggling to build community uh, in your neighborhood or on your street or wherever you may live, that's a good way to do it. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you have a you know a German Shepherd, whether you have a Shih Tzu, a Terrier, or a Golden Retriever. Just get out there. It's great to just breathe some air every once in a while and stretch your legs, and it's good for your dog too. So highly recommend that. Great way to kind of start building community in your local area. Uh, so that's one way. There's lots of other ways you can do it. Um, another one I want to touch on is uh, light discipline. And this is something we don't really think about uh, in modern day society, right? Because there's lights everywhere. I mean, like my outdoor lights automatically turn on at night. There's a sensor that sees it's dark and the lights come on. Now, in a disaster situation, you may be completely without power. And you're thinking, well, light discipline, what's that about? What's well, a big signal? Everybody knows exactly where you are if you've got your lights on. And they know that if that's the case, you've got stuff. For perspective on that, um, you know, you'll if you're up in the mountains in Afghanistan or, or you know, just about anywhere, um, you could be 20 kilometers away from a village and you're talking a village that doesn't really have, you know, much for electrical power. You know, they've got like one generator in the village, stuff like that. But they'll have, you know, you'll have a couple people, you know, with with the occasional solar light or or flashlights, stuff like that. You see those villages 20 kilometers away. Easily see them all the way across a valley and they've only got a couple lights turned on. Yeah. Light discipline is a huge thing. And I'll tell you what, for the predators out there, light becomes a dinner bell. Yeah. I, I would add something that back to basics here that uh, target hardening works. So if your property looks, you know, more difficult than your neighbors to break into, chances are the bad guy's going to go next door sort of thing. Years ago, we lived in a gated community and we had a Generac whole home generator, but we also had um, <clears throat> extremely robust hurricane shutters. So these are accordion style. And once you close them and lock it down. Uh, no lights know, coming out of that. Yeah, no lights coming out and nobody's breaking in. Uh, you know, it would take such a, a long period of time to break through those before you even got to the glass that, uh, you know, you'd be pretty safe. But it's it's funny we had uh, a tropical storm blow through the one year and there were i think 1900 homes in that gated community is one of the oldest ones in Volusia county and 
my son came in, he was young at the time. And he said, you know what, we're the only people anywhere around who has electricity, like the whole subdivision was gone. So we stood out like a sore thumb, exactly as you're describing. Now, fortunately, it was gated community security, we were secure, but in a beyond a hurricane, like in a real SHTF situation, we would have been, we have bullseye painted on us for sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the big thing, the big thing that you've got to do for a situation like that one is, is, um, and, and I learned, you know, this, this became a big thing and, and I had to really teach my family this back in 2011 during the hurricane, hurricane, or not hurricane, sorry, tornado swarms up here in Northern Alabama. Um, when, you know, the entirety of, of, you know, Northern Alabama, a small chunk of Tennessee, a chunk of Northern Georgia and a chunk of Northern uh, Mississippi was in a complete blackout. I mean, we didn't even have the lights from Birmingham because Birmingham was out. So, uh, so you didn't have that glow on the Southern horizon at all. Great skies, believe me, but I had to get it into the heads of my family and a lot of my neighbors that, Hey, look, you need to change your rhythm with this okay you need to go to a more natural rhythm sun goes down you can stay up a little bit but it's not that staying up until 10 o'clock at night sort of thing you're gonna go to bed right after sundown and you're gonna get up around sunrise we're, we're gonna go to farmer's hours here and and for kids that's actually a fairly simple switch and for adults it's tough it really is um so you can do that and that lessens the amount of energy that you've got to deal with. Um, but, you know, if we're in a if we're in a grid down scenario where you're going to require added security, you're going to need blackout curtains because somebody's going to have to be up all night. You should have a radio watch running the like um, and you're going to have to you're going to have to post guards. So at each of your entry exit points. Not only do you need blackout curtains on all the windows, but every ex entry exit point, you basically need a vestibule built there. So you can go in one set of curtains, let the curtains close behind you, and then go out uh, another set of curtains to the door. Um, just because, I mean, you have to kind of look at it as an airlock for light. That's a big thing right there that I've seen a lot of people fail to do. No, that's a really cool idea and something that we don't typically think about, right? I mean, you don't think about leaving the light on in the garage and, uh, you know, just walking out and everybody can see it because it's it's normal time. We don't have to worry about that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, we hit on something here. Uh, you know, we're talking, I think water is going to be an incredibly important thing. And I think that people think they've got a couple cases of, you know, water bottles and they're going to be just fine, you know, for a day. Uh, but one of the big mistakes that I think it's, it's really common for bugging in mindset is underestimating how much water you're going to need and how much you're going to use. I know we live off of this, oh, you need a gallon per day. That That's the big number that we hear all the time in these videos, right? And that's true for drinking, but that doesn't include washing, doesn't include clothes, doesn't include your pets, doesn't include uh, food preparation, things like that. Now, uh, Chris, you and I were having a talk before we started this, and you were talking about uh, a water issue you had, and it kind of opened your eyes to this. Yeah. <clears throat> Again, we bug in on an annual basis, and when Hurricane Michael hit us, uh, we had a sewer main and a water main burst beside each other, and the entire city had no water for three weeks. And, you know, in, in 
Florida heat during hurricane season, having no power sucks balls, but having no water is even worse. So the surrounding areas didn't have any problems with their water. So life went on, you know, after the cleanup. So I still had to attend meetings, still had to go to clients, so on and so forth. But we had plenty of drinking water stored. What we didn't have was water stored for commodes, you know, uh, hygiene, washing dishes, all that sort of stuff. That was three extremely painful weeks. Like it really, really sucked. Uh, so I think in a former video, you made the suggestion, Chris, on those liners you can put in your bathtub, you know, to store, you know, a large amount of water. Yeah, the uh, water bottle. Yep, water bottle. Yeah, you got it, Mike. Yeah, fantastic idea. And speaking from firsthand experience now, you know, especially if you have two or more full bathrooms, take one of them and use that for your water storage while you utilize the other one. But that was a really, really rough three weeks and we didn't accommodate for it. So probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest bug in mistake that we've made. Yeah. So we, um, you know, living rurally, it's, it's, it's a benefit. We have the space to be able to do it. I've got a lot of friends that, that either live in urban or suburban areas and they don't have the space and it's really, really difficult or they live in States where it's grossly frowned upon or they're in an mm -hmm. HOA or something like that. We're trying to put out a rain barrel is an extremely difficult thing. Um, so I got a buddy in California, he's got a little garden shed and the big thing that I've pushed into him was that his, his Achilles heel, where he's at is water and try and trying to go through the process of accounting for what kind of water needs you are. Cause he immediately went with the, I just need a gallon of water a day. No, if you're bugging in, you need to account for, you need to account for hygiene. You need to account for cleaning purposes. You need to account for your pets, everything like that. So essentially what you actually need for planning purposes is you want to plan on, on not surviving, but trying to thrive. Um, so, so we're going to push to the right and you need to plan for five gallons of water per person per day. And that right there should cover your needs. But the biggest downfall that a lot of people have, even with those water stores, is not rationing the water appropriately. You don't necessarily, I mean, if you don't use your five gallons that day, don't use it. You don't have to use that five gallons today. Ration it out. If you only use a gallon today, good for you. Also, if it's very cold, very hot, or very dry in your in your environment during, during said uh, said issue, or you're doing a lot of physical labor, kind of like, you know, if you don't have like a whole lot of electrical conveniences or something, you know, power tools and stuff. So you actually have to do harder work or you're clearing, you know, felled trees or something like that. You're going to go through more water. Okay. So a gallon a day doesn't necessarily cut it. You need to remain hydrated. You, I mean, a gallon and a half is, is, pretty much the really the honest minimum that you're going to need so yeah um rationing rationing that and planning for it in in the first place are huge downfalls that a lot of people make yeah and i think that's really important to you know to touch on about how much you're actually going to drink because it's going to be more without you know modern you know climate control for lack of a better term uh, you're going to be sweating more. You're going to have to be doing a lot more physical labor than most of us are used to. 
uh, and you're going to burn through that water really quick. Uh, and the last thing you want to be is in a state of dehydration when the bad guys show up. Uh, so make sure that you're still hydrated. You're going, uh, you know, you're at full capacity. Very, very important. And uh, yeah, Mike, you hit on one of my uh, next points was proper rationing. So a nice job on that one. You nailed it. Um, the other thing, uh, another thing I wanted to touch on, uh, where is it here? Oh, yeah. This is my personal favorite myth in the in the prepper community that uh, I will keep talking about until Chris Heaven kicks me off the show uh, is this whole concept of hunting during an SHTF scenario. They're like, you know what? I don't need to store food because I know how to hunt. I know how to fish and we're going to be just fine. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you guys take it from there. But all I'm going to say, my personal favorite statistic during the Great Depression, the American white-tailed deer nearly went extinct. Uh, so, yeah, you guys go ahead and take it from there. Well, I'll say this. So we have all kinds of trail cameras set up on our property in the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Georgia. And as little as four or five years ago, it was not unusual multiple times over the course of the day to see seven-plus deer uh, come close to our cabin. And that has diminished to the point where maybe once a week we might see one deer on our cameras. Uh, we would get up, you know, cook breakfast at the crack of dawn and look out in the yard and there would be a whole bunch of deer sort of thing. And I've spoke to some other people in the area and just wondering if my anecdotal experience jived with theirs. And they said that they've noticed a drastic reduction in the deer population in our area in recent years. So if we already have a reduction in wildlife without even hitting SHTF, it's not a big jump to say when the shit really does hit the fan that there'll be the land will be picked clean very quickly. So I mean it doesn't matter what the topic is, my opinion doesn't change. It's always better to be proactive than reactive. So uh saying that you're gonna hunt after the shit hits the fan is a very reactive standpoint. It's probably not realistic unless you're in some super remote area. And even then the resources will get strained. So that comes back to your food prepping, right? And, you know, making sure that you've done your due diligence and stored as much as you can. I, I recognize, you know, like uh, food prices are astronomical these days and, and people's disposable incomes are down and so on and so forth. But whatever little bit of money that you can squeak out of your disposable income to just stockpile, it's a process, not an event. So you don't have to go to somewhere like fourpatriots.com and buy $5,000 worth of prep food at the same time. If you can afford another 20, 25 bucks a, a week, it, a year down the road, you're going to have some pretty significant food storage and not have to worry about the lack of wildlife to eat. Well, not to mention, uh, you know, not to mention rice and beans are still cheap. And then you throw, say, another $2, maybe $3 per per 30 pounds of that into, into packaging and, and long-term storage between Mylar, uh, between Mylar bags and, and O2 absorbers. How much money have you really spent? Not a yeah. lot. What you're doing is you're putting some brain power and some elbow grease behind it. Really interesting timing for you to mention that, Mike. So we're fixing to go into a major shortage of rice worldwide. Um, so stuff that's been going on in Asia and India, of course, is part of Asia. And India is now the largest country in the world population-wise. Um, they just put export restrictions on 
any uh, rice that's not, yeah, I think it's basmati or whatever, but we're going to see serious supply chain pressure on rice imminently, like within a matter of weeks. It's already happening in, in some locations and other countries who haven't put export restrictions in place are discussing it now. So yeah, rice is a great one, Mike, but there should be some sense of urgency that now is the time to stock right. up on that stuff. So one of the one of the uh, one of the background points on that is that China is in its fifth year of a massive drought. Um, they're having huge quantities of water issues, and normally they're a they're a net producer of mm-hmm. of rice. Now they have become uh, the People's Republic of China has become the world's largest importer of food. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the United States is actually the largest producer of rice in the world. I was amazed to find out. Did not uh, know that. Between the Carolinas, the low, the lowland in the Carolinas, and Mississippi and uh, uh, Mississippi and Louisiana, we grow more rice than anybody else in the world. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so we are a mass exporter of white rice, uh, not to mention Carolina gold. So yeah, uh, right. Rice is still going to continue to be available here. It's just a question of, you know, the prices are going to go up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, now back to back to Chris's point on uh, on game. Uh, one other major factor, according to that, is the U.S. population. Because I just checked while we were talking about that, the U.S. population currently versus 1930 is triple what it was in 1930 all right and the u.s deer population nearly went extinct in the 30s what do you think is going to wind up happening now that you've got triple the the human population in that that's not good okay so that's and that's not just deer all right that's that's deer that's bear that's boar i mean now granted you know Hunting wild pigs is, is still a grand old time. That's a great place to get food right there. Let me tell you, and and yeah. you can actually get some real good uh, you can get some real good deals from uh, from some of your local farmers for going out and schwacking hogs. Not to mention you get the uh, you you get that that sausage out of it as well. So, um, but that's that is still a finite resource. Period. You need to remember that is a finite resource. So. Um, you know, what's, what's, what's the difference, you know, hunter gatherer, right? Hunter gatherer. Well, that's just survival. That's all that is. That's just survival. Do you want to survive or do you want to thrive? So what's the difference between hunter gatherer and thriving agriculture and animal husbandry? That's the difference. You have to start that now. Okay. You got You got to, you know, you got to understand how to run your garden. You got to have your gardens now okay what are those food stores for again those food stores are there to get you over the hump until your next harvest comes in all right so don't think oh it's just to get me through the winter well you know so many people found out the hard way uh in old times that the spring is called the dying time for a reason because during the winter all the food stores are stripped Nothing's come in yet except dandelions, and that's about it, kids. There's hardly anything to eat in the woods in the spring. So, uh, unless you, uh, you know, and you can find a you can find a squirrel's nut collection, but it's going to be mostly gone by then. So, 
yeah, that's what the agriculture is for. All right. You've got to have the food preps to get you to the agriculture point so that you can get through the winter and the spring to your next harvest, harvest points. No, really solid points there. And uh, you, you guys really knocked it out of the park. Uh, obviously, the population here in the U.S. has skyrocketed, for lack of a better term. And, uh, you know, I love people thinking, oh, well, you know, the American Plains Indians, they they lived off the land. Yeah, there was a whole heck of a lot less of them and a whole lot more <laughs> space without, uh, you know, deforestation and things like that. There was definitely quite the animal population back then as compared to now. Uh, the last thing I want to kind of hit on, then, uh, if you guys have anything you want to add to this, is uh, something I think is pretty common. It's like, you know, we buy a piece of gear. We're like, oh, yeah, I'm putting this away for SHTF, and then we never practice with it. We never learn how it actually works. Uh, you know, it's great. It's a great thing to do. It's great to have your gear and be prepared, but not practicing with it, not understanding how it works is, you know, pretty much akin to not having it. If you ask me, it's, it's not the time to learn during a disaster situation, how your generator works or how you just start a fire. It, the time to do that is now when there's no pressure, because if you mess up now, well, it doesn't really make any difference. But if you mess up then, it could be the difference between life and death. Yeah, well, as you guys know, um, we're getting ready to uh, launch Survival Dispatch Insider memberships. And as you guys know, uh, thanks to JJ and uh, Jason Sawyer and, and you guys as well, we're putting together the Survival Prepper IQ uh, test that essentially scores where you are. And I added some additional stuff last night that'll go out to y'all today to kind of critique. But one of them was you know, how many hours a month are you investing in practicing and acquiring survival skills? And I just to quote Mike here, the fantastic quote, uh, first person I ever heard make this quote, but since then I've heard other people is, you know, humans don't rise to the occasion, they fall their level of training. So if you're not doing training now, like you just stated, Chris, when the shit hits the fan, if your expectation is that you're just gonna instantly be proficient at these skills, then it's not the case. Um, so I, and I, the, the, the survival prepper IQ test is, it goes kind of one step further as far as acquiring professional training. Uh, I learned something new every single time I'm with you guys in person, JJ, Jason, Saul, or whatever the case may be, and recognize that there are guys like Mike and, and those guys that are absolute preeminent experts in this stuff. And you got to you got to kind of tap into that if you think that you're going to, again, be proficient at those types of skills, which will will be the difference between life and death, essentially. Absolutely. So as a as a great example, I've got I've got some lovely friends in Georgia that. I, I actually went out and uh, they invited me in. It's a it's an extended family that basically that basically all lives within a one block area um like five houses and then they've got a couple of good neighbors that are part of their mag um and it's an lds outfit mm -hmm. and sweet people but they just do not get the concept of training they don't get it and they had me come in uh they they invited me in to come in and do an evaluation well one of the very first things that i saw and it's very pertinent to this was that they've got like eight generators amongst the whole bunch of them seven of them are still in the box never been taken out of the box wow they have no idea how to run them As a matter of fact a couple of them they're not even sure where the directions are amazing 
Well, the yeah. first steps and, open the box, right? And they were, uh, I'll tell you what, they were, they were very disheartened when I told them up front that, yeah, you guys are nothing but a gear drop for somebody that's going to take, come take all your stuff. You guys got to change what you're doing. People don't like being told that they're wrong, man. Yeah. But some truths are hard truths. Yeah. And I mean, that's what we're here for, right? We're here to help you learn these hard truths now. So you don't have to learn them later. Uh, and that was the whole point of our video. Uh, what did we miss, guys? I know you both uh, kind of made up a list uh, of things that you were thinking that could be some mistakes that people might make. Did we miss anything? Did I did I skip over anything important? I, I've got three simple things that are very specific to the Gulf states, you know, and hurricane related is number one mistake that we've made in the past is not keeping up with tree trimming. And then all of a sudden a ginormous oak comes down and takes out your roof line. It's happened multiple times. And, you know, kind of in relation to that is not parking vehicles far away from the big trees. Uh, we've had, had vehicle damage from that. These are tough lessons learned. And then the third thing and, and this final thing, and again, it's, it's very hurricane related, is no matter how heavy something is outside, a hurricane will pick it up and toss it. And, you know, so we had some really heavy objects become airborne missiles many, many years ago. You got to break everything down and, and get it inside a building somewhere or it, it's not only gone, but it's good. It could potentially take out your windows if you don't have shutters or plywood, those sort of things, damage your vehicles, hurt your neighbor's stuff, so on and so forth. So that's that's all I had left on my list. Same thing. Same thing here in tornado country. So I've got I've got a few things. Uh, I'm I'm gonna soapbox a little bit here. All right. So please, everybody, bear with me. But but I got my list. I gotta do my list. My my CDO is gonna <laughs> gonna not keep me from doing this. All right. So first first thing is define priorities. Now you're going to have a list of priorities um, that everybody has. Don't stick to the priorities. Your priorities are all going to be, and and former military members here are going to cringe when I say this, but honestly, there's no better term, but METTC, all right? And that's going to be mission, enemy, time, terrain, and civilians. In this case, mission, of course, is going to be to, you know, to make it through the, make it through the, the scenario that you're in enemy is going to be either the weather or, you know, mutant zombie bikers, whatever. Okay. Um, time, the terrain that you're on. All right. And then for C, I'm calling that, I'm calling that my community. All right. The community around me. Um, but those have got to be flexible. You've got to understand that those have got to be flexible. They're going to continuously change. Now, what's going to be your top three in a bugging in scenario? All right. Your top three are always going to wind up being security, food, water. Right. We've already discussed those. We beat those up pretty heavily. All right. Um, but posting guards in a community is a thing. All right. And making sure that those guards stay their asses awake is a thing especially civilians that have never done this stuff before and don't have a whole lot of discipline instilled in them, you may wind up having to go around with a, you know, with a cattle prod and wake their ass up from time to time. <laughs> um, so we, we talked about the food, we talked about the water. Shelter, all right? Shelter is a normal survival imperative. That's what your house is for, right? That's why we're staying in there. You got to have the appropriate stuff. You got to have the appropriate quantity of shelter because you're going to get newcomers, especially if you're in a safe area, you're going to get newcomers. You may wind up having to 
shift people around a little bit. Okay. Some of your neighbors, I mean, I've got, I've got a couple of neighbors here, you know, old widows and stuff. They got an entire house, all of themselves. Sorry, but you're going to be taking a family or two. Okay. You, you got a 4,000 square foot house and you live here alone with your Pekingese. Yeah. You're taking two families. Um, communications. Okay. I see this all the time. The prepper community does not understand ComSec at all. All right. Uh, they, instead of it being a push to talk, it's, we always call it the push to think button. They'll push the button and sit there and go, uh, meanwhile, somebody with a direction finder is going, putting the dots together. All right. Spend 99.9% .9 of your time listening. Talk only when you really honestly have something to say. All right. Comsec is an issue. Uh, power and energy. All right. Uh, a lot of people I'll see overestimate their solar capacity and underestimate the amount of noise that a generator makes. But we talked about that. Um, sanitation and hygiene. Uh, I hate to say it, but that's probably one of the biggest jobs of us non-commissioned officers in the military is enforcing sanitation and hygiene. It's a terrible thing. That's what kills armies. All right. If you look historically down the, you know, down, down the ages, hundreds of years back, what killed more soldiers than combat? By far, poor sanitation and hygiene. All right. Definitely the coffee tastes a lot better if you put the uh if you put the latrines downstream. Okay. Just <laughs> remember that and that's why we just stocked up on combat wipes combat <laughs> wipes and you know what if you like those combat wipes if you like all this stuff that we're talking about here what are you supposed to do chris well head over to the store we got uh survival dispatch check down in the description uh there's right. a link there check it out right not survival to mention dispatch yeah survival dispatch store.com not to mention click the like subscribe and Bell you know, icon. all those buttons okay um medical, medical training. So I see a lot of preppers getting mm. medical training these days. Okay. And that's great. I love it. Okay. We've gone from just the Red Cross first aid class to, uh, to now people are, people are getting uh TECC training and a lot of them are getting, you know, like the training to be able to sew up a, uh, you know, sew up a wound. The problem is that's where they stop. They stop with the trauma training. Trauma is 1% of medical. Okay. You got to get other training. All right. You've got to have, you've, 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 you've got to get the other stuff. All right. So don't just stick to that long-term, long-term nursing care. It's a thing. All right. Um, in particular, it gives you the tools to be able to understand, do I, or do I not need to put all these drugs into this person? That's not going to live anyway. And it's a terrible thing to say, but triage is you need to understand triage off the bat save who you can save because you can't save them all uh last tools engineering and repair all right it's a thing you gotta you you gotta thrive not survive all right so if you're gonna do that you need to be able to build and you need to repair what you already have okay get some skills okay understand how to actually use a hammer instead of a crescent wrench for what it's for uh get yourself a bunch of fasteners stuff like that and then my uh my afghanistan honorable mention uh, whenever we were in a perimeter at an A camp, stuff like that, everybody's got their bug out bags. Love my bug out bags. Love them. They're great. Okay. Why are you going to have your bug out bag inside of the perimeter? Uh, if you're in a hostile situation, you don't, as soon as you get into that situation, 
you find yourself a rally point that if you get ejected from the place that you're at by i don't care whatever means i don't care if there's a if there's a rail derailment and there's a poisonous cloud headed your way or if there's mutant zombie bikers coming in the front gate and you gotta you gotta squeak out the back wire whatever okay you don't have your bug out bags inside there you have your bug out bags as soon as this sort of a situation happens you cash your bug out bags near a rally point okay so that you can get out fast then you get to your bug out bags. Then you bail out of the area. Okay, that's awesome. All right, that's you a don't. Really cool idea. You do yeah. not sit on those things once the situation's gone south. Because I don't know about you, but hauling a forty-five pound rucksack while I've been in a in a running firefight for the last half hour, I don't want to do that, man. Yeah, I'm gonna go two kilometers away and then pull it out of a drum stashed in the side of a mountain. A really neat idea obviously staging your gear uh really something that i don't think that a lot of people thought of i know i can say personally i hadn't even thought about that uh so that's a really cool tip uh if you're uh, you know thinking about preparing for something like this that's a great idea uh, that people could definitely use uh, in the future but guys man we absolutely crush this uh let me know down in the comments what are what did we miss uh, obviously i don't think we missed anything but we probably did because the comment section is absolutely full of geniuses out there and i want to know what your thoughts are on what we missed and uh you know how we can improve our preps and by proxy helping everybody else who's watching this channel improve as well so thank you guys for coming out it was a great discussion i loved it and we'll catch you on the next one